0: Welcome to this episode of TechLink in Conversation. I am Claire Trott, the Director of Technical Connection. During our conversations, we seek to review the topical bulletins published on TechLink, our knowledge management tool for all things tax, trusts and pensions. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by John Woolley. Hello, John. How are you? Fine, thank you, Claire. How are you? I'm not too bad, not too bad. Uh, Just fighting with the technology as ever. In this episode, we want to discuss some issues surrounding pensions and inheritance tax following the recent case. Uh, with the ruling of the Staveley case. Before we start to look at this particular case, John, do you want to explain a little bit about what we know as the two-year rule on pension transfers in serious ill health? Yes, basically,
1: when a person makes a pension transfer, HMRC regard this as a transfer value for inheritance tax. Their somewhat complicated reasoning for this is set out on page 17027 of their internal inheritance tax manual, In a nutshell, this says that when a person makes a pension transfer, the strict legal analysis is that for a split moment in time, the right to choose who will be entitled to death benefits under the new pension plan vests in the estate of the pension scheme member. So when he or she proceeds with the pension transfer, there could be a transfer for inheritance tax purposes from their estate to the trust of the new pension plan. That's the bad news. The good news is that HMRC accept that in most cases, the transfer of value will be of a negligible amount because the transfer is for the member's benefit. It will only be in those cases where the member is in serious ill health that a transfer of value can be actuarially determined. And even in these cases, HMRC will only need to be told about the transfer if the pension scheme member dies within two years of the transfer.
0: In that context, do you want to give us a little bit of background on this particular case and the particular issues involved with this case? The facts of the case were briefly as
1: follows. Mrs Staveley owned a pension plan known as a Section 32 plan. Benefits were transferred to this plan in July 2000. Under the law that then applied, death benefits of up to a permissible level would have been payable to her estate. This meant that her two sons would inherit because they were the beneficiaries under her will. Any surplus death benefits would be paid to the employer company in relation to the plan. She deliberately chose not to draw benefits from her Section 32 plan, preferring instead to build up value that could be paid to her two sons on her death. She'd gone through a difficult divorce in 2000. And she didn't want her ex-husband to benefit from any of the pension benefits. And he could indirectly have benefited if surplus was paid under the pension plan because he was sole shareholder of the employer company who set up the plan. And it would have been the employer company who received this surplus. In the year 2006, the new pension provisions under A-Day meant a transfer from the Section 32 plan could be made without overfunding issues, thereby preventing Mrs. Staveley's ex-husband from receiving any benefit. And in 2006, Mrs. Staveley was wrongly informed by her financial advisor that the transfer of her pension plan would not cause death benefits to be treated differently for inheritance tax. So later that year, that's in 2006, Mrs. Staveley transferred her Section 32 plan to an AXA personal pension plan, but she transferred at a time when she was in very serious ill health. She also at the same time completed an expression of wishes form, naming her sons as the intended beneficiaries of death benefits. Unfortunately, she died quite soon afterwards and the scheme administrator made an appointment of benefits to her sons and paid all of those death benefits to them with no inheritance tax arising. So those are the facts. The the two particular tax questions that arose in the Supreme Court were, firstly, had Mrs Staveley made a transfer of value for inheritance tax purposes when she made the transfer? And if she had, would the defence in Section 10 offer her any relief? Now, what Section 10 says is that this provides relief when a person makes a disposition such as a pension transfer. Well, in those cases, provided that disposition doesn't confer any gratuitous benefit on anyone, then it won't be a transfer of value. And when you're testing whether there is an intention to confer a gratuitous benefit, you've got to look a little bit beyond the pension transfer and look at any what we call associated operations that may have existed, and we'll come on to that in a second. Um, The second question that the court had to look at was, did Mrs Staveley make a transfer of value when she deliberately decided not to draw any benefits from her pension plan? Because, of course, this had the impact of increasing the value of any death benefits payable, which ultimately went to the sons. If she is treated as making a deliberate omission to exercise a right, that's a technical term for this then she could be treated as making a a lifetime chargeable transfer immediately before her death. In other words, at the last time she could exercise that right.
0: And what did the court decide in the end, John?
1: Well, Mrs Staveley was clearly in serious ill health when she made the pension transfer. And the Supreme Court broke down the issues of whether the Section 10 defence prevented that transfer of value into two questions. First of all, did Section 10 protect the pension transfer itself? Here the Supreme Court decided it did because all the evidence showed that Mrs Staveley only made the pension transfer to prevent her ex-husband from benefiting. She hadn't made it for any other reason. The next question they had to look at, though, was did Section 10 protect the pension transfer in light of any associated operations to the actual pension transfer. In other words, was there a scheme involved with that pension transfer? And in that respect, the question was, could Mrs Staveley's failure to draw benefits from the plan after having made the pension transfer be part of a scheme? In other words, did her failure to draw benefits which increased the benefits her son would receive, mean that the pension transfer itself was tainted. And if this was the case, then it wouldn't be possible to show that there was no intention to confer a gratuitous benefit. And in those circumstances, the Section 10 defence would not apply. Now here, the Supreme Court found that the two transactions, that's the pension transfer and the omission to exercise the right, the omission to draw pension benefits, could not be regarded as a scheme. So the omission to draw the benefits did not taint the pension transfer, and that meant the Section 10 defence was available. And the court said that this was on the basis that Mrs Staveley had already decided not to draw benefits when she owned the Section 32 plan. So the transfer wasn't made simply to enable her to take that option and decide not to draw benefits in the future. And because the section 10 defence applied to both the pension transfer and the scheme involving the pension transfer, if you like, um, there were no inheritance tax implications on the pension transfer. So no inheritance tax should be payable because the section 10 defence applied.
0: John, you mentioned the omission to exercise a right. Do we still have to worry about this in particular cases at the moment?
1: Yeah, well, that's that's a good point. Uh, this was a separate issue. Before 2011, it was possible to make a transfer for inheritance tax purposes in relation to a pension plan by simply omitting to draw benefits when you could. In other words, when you're over age 55. HMRC could take this point if somebody was in serious ill health. So their purpose in not taking benefits was to transfer benefits in the form of extra growth outside of their taxable estate on their death. In this part of the court case, the question was, did the discretion of the pension scheme administrator to appoint death benefits break the chain connecting the emission and the payment of the death benefits? Here, the Supreme Court found that the omission was the operative cause of the increase in the son's estates and therefore gave rise to a charge to inheritance tax. Now, it's really important to note that this omission point um, where the Supreme Court found in favour of HMRC is not really now of any practical importance. And the reason for that is because since 2011, the tax legislation has been changed, so that this Section 33, as it's known, the omission to exercise a right rule, cannot apply to omissions that occur under registered pension schemes. They could before 2011, and that was the reason it was in issue in the Staveley case. But they can't now.
0: That's very interesting. So the one part of the ruling that was upheld isn't something we really now to be, need to be concerned with. Looking at more detail now on the other issue in this case. Do you believe that the ruling could be read in such a way that we now don't need to be concerned about transfers in ill health?
1: The decision is to be welcomed but it must be treated with caution in light of the unusual facts in the Staveley case. In particular Mrs Staveley's desire to stop her ex-husband benefiting and the incorrect inheritance tax advice she had been given. It has now been established that it is possible in the right circumstances to use the section 10 defence To prevent a transfer value arising on a pension transfer where the pension scheme member is in serious ill health and so there is a measurable loss to the estate the key question is how easy is it to show there was no donative intent when the transfer was made so there was no intention to confer a benefit on somebody else clearly most people who have transferred their pension rights and died within two years will not have had a motive similar to the strong fixed intention that Mrs Staveley had to avoid her husband benefiting at all costs.
0: So how do you feel this is going to affect pension transfers generally from DC to DC scheme specifically?
1: Whenever somebody makes a pension transfer when they're on serious ill health, then in order to avoid the transfer being subject to inheritance tax as a transfer of value, it will be necessary to show that the transfer was made for reasons that did not involve the conferring of a benefit on another person. These days, as death benefits under registered pension plans are generally free of inheritance tax, there is no real additional inheritance tax advantage in transferring between schemes. This must be an argument in favour of there being no intention to confer a gratuitous benefit, as many transfers will be neutral for inheritance tax as Mrs Staveley thought was the position with her transfer. However, it is likely that HMRC would need stronger reasons than this to accept the Section 10 defence. Even if a person can show that he did not intend to confer a benefit, it is apparent from from this decision that this defence can be neutralised where following the transfer, the person decides not to draw benefits. The question is, therefore, if somebody aged 55 or over is not drawing benefits from their current D.C. pension plan and they make a transfer to a new D.C. pension plan from which they continue to not draw benefits. Can this be regarded as a new omission, which, when combined with the pension transfer, shows a donative intent? In the Staveley decision, the judges thought not because Mrs Staveley had already made the decision not to draw down from her section 32 plan before transfer. This could not therefore be treated as part of an overall transfer transaction, part of a scheme if you like, which could taint the pension transfer and give it a donative intent. However, the section 10 defence looks less likely to be available in cases where the decision not to draw death benefits commences after the pension transfer. As the omission not to draw benefits could then be part of the transaction or the scheme, which will then give the transfer a donative effect. Of course, as I explained earlier, not drawing benefits when you can is no longer in isolation a transfer of value, but it could still have the impact of increasing the death benefits available for somebody else and so could influence the decision as to the intention of the individual who made the pension transfer. For people who transfer at an age below 55, the omission to draw a benefits question will not be relevant at that time. For them, it is about whether the pension transfer was made for reasons other than conferring a benefit on another person. However, If they then get to age 55 and decide not to draw benefits, I suppose the question would be, does that omission then influence the the reasoning behind the pension transfer? Does that later donative intention mean that the original pension transfer had a donative intention? That's going to be an interesting question to address.
0: So what do you think the impact of this will be on the, the, probably the bigger transfers, so from DB to DC transfers. Does does it follow on that that's the same?
1: It's thought that a transfer from a defined benefit pension scheme with limited death benefits to a DC scheme with bigger death benefits linked to the value of the fund would have a donative intent for some being serious ill health. And so in these sorts of cases, the Section 10 defence will be very, very difficult, I think, to maintain.
0: I have to agree there's clearly issues here that still need to be considered when we're looking at these transfers. Can you remind me, if the transfer of value, would we just take the whole transfer um, uh, that's made between the two schemes and treat that as a transfer of value?
1: No, the first thing to do is to determine what we call the CETV, the cash equivalent of the transfer of value. You then apply an assumed rate of growth to this figure and reduce it by a figure designed to reflect the discount to an open market purchaser. Taking these two factors into account will in general mean that the CETV will reduce by about nine percent per annum over the period of the life expectancy of the person who made the pension transfer. Then if the individual is age 55 or over in determining the transfer value you can deduct any retained benefits, benefits that he or she was entitled to This will be the tax-free cash, the PCLS, of 25% of the fund and the net value of the rest of the fund after income tax that will be suffered on it if they fully drew it down.
0: Interesting. What if the beneficiary is the spouse? Can we just use the spousal exemption here?
1: When somebody is treated as making a transfer of value because of a pension transfer, this will be a chargeable lifetime transfer. This is because it is a gift to a discretionary trust, that discretionary trust that underpins the new pension scheme. Therefore, even if the money is eventually paid out to the individual spouse, this will not be covered by the spouse exemption.
0: Now that's a shame. And what about the nil rate ban? Can we take that one into account?
1: Where the person is treated as making a chargeable lifetime transfer, and that transfer is less than 325000 dollars it may well be absorbed by their nil rate band. If that person dies without a spouse or civil partner, this can have the effect of meaning that further inheritance tax is paid on other assets on death. On the other hand, if the person dies with a surviving spouse or surviving legal partner, uh, then there may be a reduction in the transferable nil rate band. And so more inheritance tax is paid further down the road on the subsequent death of that part, that spouse or civil partner.
0: It's all very complicated. Um, Are there any other issues you think advisors need to be mindful of in this particular area?
1: Clearly advisors need to be aware that if they are recommending a pension transfer and the client is in serious ill health, there are likely to be inheritance tax implications if the client dies within two years. I don't think the Stavely case has radically changed the position. If HMRC takes the view that an inheritance tax charge does apply, it will always be worth putting forward some of the arguments used in the Staveley case. But there is no guarantee that HMRC will accept them unless there is overriding evidence of a dominant reason for the transfer that did not involve a gratuitous intention to benefit another. However, hopefully in light of this decision, HMRC will review their practice in this area and make things easier. We will just have to wait and see.
0: We can just but hope that uh, some more clarity comes in the future. Thanks for your time and sharing your insights today, John. Really appreciate it. It's been great to catch up, as always.
1: The content of this recording is strictly for general consideration only. No action must be taken or refrained from based on the content alone professional advice must always be sought accordingly neither technical connection limited nor any of its officers employees or contractors can take responsibility for any loss
0: as a result of any action or inaction